From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, April 21st. Backcountry flying is taking off in the country, and a small but growing number of pilots are helping upkeep the historic dirt runways that dot southeastern Utah. Justin Higginbottom reports on this hobby. Gary Hilly's job as a mechanic keeps him focused on the ground during the week. But when he's free, he heads above southeastern Utah. There. I'm in his 2C plane. It's called an experimental Super Cub. It's lightweight, able to take off and land with only a few hundred feet of runway. We're flying over slot canyons and mesas, heading south with Canyonlands National Park in the distance. So all these orange dots are runways around us. But we're probably going to go... Um, either the mineral or horseshoe. His phone is open to a map with dozens of orange dots within about a 15-mile radius. Those are backcountry runways. These are from the region's mining days, mostly uranium. Miners would use them to bring in supplies or labor. Right now we're headed towards the Green River. There's around 300 backcountry runways in Utah, mostly in the southeast, and many in Bureau of Land Management areas. This is the Mineral Bottom Airstrip which was associated with two mines, one being right here and then one further upstream up this road right there. We pass unfazed cows, some wild burrows that look up curiously, and a couple antelope trying to race us. But no humans, which is the point, says Hilly. Backcountry flying is a great way to get away from the crowds quickly. I use way less fuel flying there than I do driving there. And I can get out there and do a hike and get back in four or five hours, you know. Hilly is one of a growing number of backcountry flyers taking lightweight, fixed-wing aircraft into the wilderness. Here's Roy Evans. He's a commercial pilot and president of the Utah Backcountry Pilots Association. The general aviation industry has expanded purely just in this world because the kind of airplanes that people fly into the backcountry, those markets have been exploding for the last 10, 20 years. He says there's new options for lightweight planes and training. This type of flying has been around for a long time, shown by these miners' runways. And in Alaska, it's some residents' only option. But social media has helped introduce the hobby to a new generation. He says local officials have even reached out to him for help in drawing flyers to their county. We really want to get in on this backcountry thing. You know, what do we have to do to put an airstrip in our county? And I'm like, well, there's actually 40 already (laughs) and they're widely used. He says his group has around 900 online members. They will share trip reports and details on the condition of remote runways. The one thing that's really interesting about flying in the backcountry is that the people you'll meet alongside these airstrips are from all over the world. We've met people from Germany that were out here flying around because America provides them so much more freedoms with aviation than other countries out there. But he says not everyone is as stoked on the hobby. Grant County commissioners submitted comments to the BLM with concerns about noise in some management areas. Evans says compared to other motorized vehicles, backcountry flying is pretty unobtrusive. The airplane only makes noise for those brief moments where it's coming into land. And then when the airplane's on the runway, we, we're shut down. We push the airplane into our parking spot. Kaya Marienfeld is with the conservation group Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. She says as the hobby expands in the area, it could run up against other wilderness uses and values. It's just a question the same as it is with another motorized vehicle like a Jeep or a UTV or a motorbike. You're making sure that you are in the places that are the best suited for that kind of impact. 
Some historic runways in the San Rafael Swell were challenged after that area became a designated wilderness. And she says enforcement can be hard. Airspace is extremely hard to regulate. Land management agencies don't have a lot of sway or say over FAA regulations, over what things can and can't happen, however many feet off the ground, depending on where you are. She says there's great places where this kind of flying makes sense. But if you are a visitor or if you are wildlife out in one of these ecosystems and a plane flies overhead, it does substantially change the experience that you're having when you're out there. Back in the skies with Hilly, he tells me he tries to teach those pilots that are new to the area. And that's one of the things I try and educate a lot of pilots that come to town about, like, what's sensitive for us. But, like, guys love to fly the Green River, like, right on the water. But right now it's full of canoers and stuff. So really not a good idea. We land at the Horseshoe Canyon airstrip. The runways have stayed largely intact in the desert climate, although vegetation is very slowly encroaching and the rare flood can wash away these bits of history. Hilly spends his free time maintaining the runways. We'll come out and clear the turnarounds and the parking and the camping areas and haul the ash from the fire pits out, stuff like that. He'll haul out trash that's blown in, sometimes 50-year-old cans of beans left over from the mining days. Right now, he's using a metal rake he made himself and left out here for others to use. And we'll just, you know, you can take it and smooth out some ruts or chop some weeds or whatever you need to do. He says with the privilege of being able to access these runways, there's a responsibility to keep them safe. It's needed. He thinks the area will continue to attract more pilots. Like we're the mecca for mountain bikers, we're also the mecca for backcountry flying. And that comes with pluses and minuses, you know, with, with more people on the river every year, there's more people in the air as well, and more bikers, more razors, more of everything, and that's just, that's the reality of living in a resort town, really. But he thinks it's manageable. Today, on a windless day and peak tourist season, I didn't notice another plane. We can get everyone to kind of be respectful of each other and consider their point of view. They're, they're here to have fun. We're here to have fun. So far, he thinks there's enough space for everyone, in the sky and on the ground. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. Record Store Day is this Saturday. Gavin Dahl with our partners at KVNF spoke with Matthew Cesario of Triple Play Records in Grand Junction, Colorado. The store is anticipating their biggest event ever. The annual tradition known as Record Store Day is this Saturday. Many folks are seeking out specific exclusives or what are called RSD firsts, titles found at indie record stores this weekend, then released more widely later. At Triple Play in Grand Junction, you guys will open your doors at 10 a.m. Do you anticipate a pretty big crowd this year? Yeah, um, we anticipate our biggest crowd yet. Um, there's a lot of uh, some mainstream releases as well as uh, back catalog stuff, and we ordered quite a bit of product this year, so we're excited. NPR News did a story yesterday about the impressive sales numbers for vinyl across the country. Are you seeing strong numbers for new and used records? Yes, we're selling more records than we have ever before. Um, it's just tremendous. So it's important for record hunters to keep in mind that Record Store Day does not give or sell releases directly to participating shops. Each store makes their own buying decisions, may choose to bring in some titles or skip others. Have pandemic supply chain issues impacted your orders this year, or could you get in most of what you wanted? Well, yeah, see, that's the thing. This year, there's another drop date in June, but we got most of what we ordered in this first drop. They just 
couldn't make enough records in time for this first drop. So we will have another day in June, but this one is going to be jam-packed with the releases. We got good quantities on things. We ordered maybe about 85% of the list. So if you're looking for a title, it's a good chance we have it here at Triple Play. That's exciting. So let's talk about a few of those specifics. What do you think is going to be in the highest demand at your shop this year? Is it Taylor Swift? Yeah, I think that will be one of the top seeked out releases. I also saw The Doors. A lot of people talking about The Doors release. And then The Stones have a release. I mean, there's just great titles anywhere you look. There's some even uh, broader spectrum, some hip-hop and rap stuff. We have Coolio, MF Doom. Um, those are super limited. Some of these are first, Record Store Day first releases, but some of them are also limited they only make a certain amount once they're gone they're gone kind of thing npr discussed the lost album from charles mingus are you stocking some jazz this year oh yeah we have the jazz releases as well um we did get that release but it is super super limited anything else you're particularly excited to get into your own hands or just to be putting out on the shelf this year well one that you didn't mention is the grateful dead box of course live at wembley empire pool london england from uh, 72 that's limited to 10,000 and then you know there's uh, some things that i will probably be interested in it comes out friday the new nor jones reissue of come sail away is coming out as well um, and there's a lot of releases on friday that are going to be grouped in with the saturday releases for record store day that's Gavin Dahl with our partners at KVNF speaking with Matthew Cesario of Triple Play Records in Grand Junction, Colorado. Saturday is not only Record Store Day, it's Vinylthon. That means across the world, radio stations are celebrating records by playing vinyl on their airwaves. You can expect that right here on KZMU, starting at 7 a.m. with Uncle Meat and ongoing throughout the day on Saturday. Big shout out to all our DJs who have been spinning records this Radiothon and over the last 30 years on your community radio station, KZMU. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, April 21st. A note of thanks to our listeners who have donated and pledged to KZMU News this Radiothon. We are absolutely blown away by the support. Thank you so much. You put the power in community-powered radio. And if you haven't gotten to it yet, there's still time to pledge during Radiothon. You can visit kzmu.org slash donate or call the DJs in the studio at 435-259-5968. That's 259-KZMU. 